You're listening to Cornerstone Conversations, a podcast by Cornerstone in Fort Worth, Texas. My name is Jeremy McNair, and I'm the worship pastor here at Cornerstone. And today I'm joined by our lead pastor, Bobby Harrell. Today we are going into a deep dive into a book by Michael Bird called Seven Things I Wish Christians Knew About the Bible. This is an incredible resource, and we encourage all of our listeners to purchase it, to read it, and to study it as you do your own personal Bible study. As you listen to these podcasts, we would love for you to be a part of the conversation. So if you have any questions, comments, or feedback that you'd like to share with us, if you could text your questions to 817-809-3040. We love to hear them. We love to integrate whatever it is that's on your minds into the things that we say. So as we get into this new study, we hope you enjoy the conversation. Well, good morning, Cornerstone family. What a privilege and honor it is to be able to worship the first Sunday of 2022. Very very different format. Very differently. Yeah. What we wanted to do, this was actually a really intentional thing for us. When we came back from COVID, we went from two worship services every Sunday down to one. And one of the main things that really happened with that was that our volunteers never get a break. Because in the old system, they would attend one and serve one. Exactly. And now... It's just serve. Right. And it's been this way year and a half, almost two years. We thought it would be important to give all the volunteers a break. Especially after the whirlwind of the holidays. Yeah. People just need to be able to breathe and take a minute and yeah. relax. Uh, yeah, this is not a COVID thing we're doing. This is a mental health. This is a little sabbatical. It's just good for the well-being of the church family, really. Correct. But Correct. we're so thankful. One of the best things that came out of COVID was that we realized that we can do this on occasion. Sure. That the church family is still the church family, whether we are online or in person. And that's a oh. wonderful blessing to have come out of this whole thing. So we are in our podcast studio, really. Yeah. So if you ever listen to Cornerstone Conversations, which is our ongoing podcast, this is where it happens. Jesse on production this morning. And so we're cutting this service from the podcast room. From the podcast room, Normally yeah. not a camera, but it's all good. Yeah. So you're just a little, a little different format. It's a little bit different. Yeah. Hey, just so you guys know, this is Bobby Harrell. He's the lead pastor here at Cornerstone. My name is Jeremy McNair. I'm the worship pastor here. Yeah. And it's really just such we a, just wanna an honor to be doing this. Come together and guide a conversation for these two Sundays and just facilitate some rest, but also stimulate your mind about where we're going in the new year. Right, so. exactly. Because what we're going to talk about this morning is an ongoing conversation that's going to take us, especially through the spring semester here. Before before you get to that, let's just do a little housekeeping real quick. Sure. So two weeks in this format. Yes. Let everybody have a good break. We'll come back together then with our normal schedule and kick the year off. In two weeks from now. Yeah. So while we're in this format, let's remember giving. It is important. Let's remember outreach. Yeah. You know, there's there's still a lot of people we need to care for. Right. Let's be doing what we do. Just we're, we're just going to pause the formal collective live service here for a couple of weeks, but there's right. still background things that are happening. Encourage everybody. You've done so wonderful in missions giving. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, we had so many projects that were happening all through the month of December right. and watching the church family gather together and meet the needs of our partners all over the world. It was incredible. And you and I just, we get emails every day with yeah. photos. They're out in the streets singing. Again, these are in Christians in hostile environments. Right out in the street singing about Jesus and the birth of Christ. 
you know, I saw a bunch of them wearing like Santa hats, Yeah. you know, giving away little things, you know, whether it's some rice or beans or whatever in the right. name of Jesus, spreading Christmas cheer and witnessing to people all over. Even one of our orphanages that we just funded some projects for, mm-hmm. they took all of the children and went and did outreach and reached out to 135 families That's incredible. with a gospel message. Yeah. So you guys are doing awesome. Don't let that die in the new year. You right. know, keep that momentum going. Well, as you're talking about giving, it is a wonderful reminder. If you don't have the Church Center app, that is the best way and most secure way to give to the church and to the ministries here. Right. You can download that on the Apple App Store or on the Google Play Store. You can also text to give. So what you do is you text your amount to 84321, or you can go to give. All those, again, funnel into the same secure giving platform, and it's a wonderful resource to you. As we're talking about apps, another thing to really keep in mind, today we're gonna to be talking a lot about resources that people can use as they study God's word this year. Yeah. All of the links to the various you know resources that we're gonna talk about this morning are included in your YouVersion Bible app notes. So you just go to the live events section and you'll find it there. And very much like a normal Sunday morning. Exactly. Yeah. Even though we're online, that's still very much accessible to right. you. So let's pick up the conversation you started, and that's the discussion we're going to have for a couple of weeks that really springboards into some goals, mm-hmm. some directives for the church in the new year. Yeah. And really, for the last few years, we've been mentioning several times to the congregation, we have to retrain ourselves on how to read the Bible, yeah. to realize the Bible is literature, to realize the Bible is a book, but it's a very different book in that it's really a collection of sacred writings. Right. Yeah. It's a collection of books from different authors over about a 1,500-year period. Mm-hmm. And those authors are very different people right? and speaking to very different situations. And we'll, we'll talk more about that. But the Bible, I want to just say, is a very unique book of all books. Absolutely. It is our sacred book. We'll talk about why that is and how we know that that is. But our spiritual growth and our relationship with God is directly tied to our ability Mm -hmm. to be able to open the word of God and understand what we're reading. Right. If we don't understand what we're reading, we're never going to be able to make the appropriate application. And therefore, we won't have spiritual growth. We won't have a correct understanding of God. We won't have experience with God, growth, all of these things that overflow from our relationship to the word of God. So Mm -hmm. you and I have had just really with the broader staff have had so many discussions about how do we help our people gain a better relationship with their Bible. Right. Yeah. Because we've spent the last 24 weeks or so, I mean, before the Christmas series, really digging into what the tenets of our faith are in the Apostles' Creed. Right. And we really focus in on the content without really delving into, okay, well, now how can I explore the word on my own? Like, how, how do I study the Bible for myself? So let's reference then back to what you're saying. The creed is basically very, very early church, yeah. the ancient church, the apostolic and the children of the apostles church, distilling, mm-hmm. uh, condensing cliff notes, version of the apostles teaching. Right. And again, it was first used as baptismal creeds. So it, it helped people understand what was normative for Christianity. Yeah. If you're a Christian, this is what you believe. I believe in God, the father, creator of heaven and earth. Mm-hmm. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under power. Anyway, the creed became a 
catechism, a condensation of Mm -hmm. this is what Christianity believes. Right. And it's a Trinitarian statement built around the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That Spirit section talks a lot about things that we care about, the church. Mm -hmm. We talked a lot about indwelling of the Spirit. A whole Holy Spirit series came out of that. But there's something that's not in the creed. Right. And honestly, so every week we do these podcasts right right here, honestly. And we ask for listeners to give us feedback and to send in questions and comments. And this was probably the biggest surprise for me was that no one ever sent in a message saying, why don't we mention the word of God in the creed? Why is there no line that says, I believe in the scriptures? Right. And so for the creed, you, you said it was like a 24 week series yeah, when it was all weeks, said and yeah. done. Okay. So for 24 weeks, we talked about what was normative for Christianity mm-hmm. based on what the creed says. Yet the creed never says. It never says. I believe, I believe the Bible the is the word scripture. of God. Exactly. There you go. It's almost like it's taken for granted. Yeah. Or I could say another way, the creeds, as the creeds are being developed, the old Roman creed then gave way to a little more expanded mm-hmm. apostles creed. But as heresies arose in the church or strife within the church about what do we believe about Jesus or what do we believe about a particular subject mm-hmm. of, of theology, they would expand the creed to answer those questions yeah. or to refute heresy. So then you'll get you know another iteration of the creed later in the church history, Nicene Creed. Well, mm-hmm. the Nicene Creed blows up And maybe this would be a great series for us to do as a church in 22. Maybe we need to go to the Nicene Creed now and see how they expanded the Jesus section and why they did. Right. Because there's a reason for everything they put in there. Mm -hmm. Well, we were just talking recently. I mean, yesterday, I think, about maybe it's good to do a character study of Jesus, how God presented himself as a man. And and the Nicene Creed kind of addresses some of those things. Sure. It helps you expand on rather than just Jesus is God's only son conceived of the spirit and born of the virgin it's going to expand that to here's more about jesus that you probably want to know and need to know it's normative for christianity right so what i want to say is that the creeds as they're being developed over time answer specific issues Mm -hmm. that the church is dealing with so whether that's in the 100s the 200s the 300s the 400s a.d as they're dealing with, again, much the, for the very reason that the books of the New Testament were written, there's a problem at Corinth. Mm-hmm. A very specific problem. Uh, which is? They don't know how to define what it means to be a spiritual person. Correct. And yeah. because of that, then, 10 other problems like disunity and, you know, inequality and, you know, all of these other things, secondary issues start rising up. Right. And so Paul has to write 1 Corinthians in order to answer problems in the church. Yeah. Okay. So in much a similar way, and and I'm not saying the church councils may be inspired in the same vein as the apostle Paul, but I'm saying in much the same way, the church councils would bring together leading religious scholars, all the religious leaders of the day, bring them together in a Congress, Mm -hmm. a council, and they would sit down together and they would discuss, here are the issues we're dealing with. Yeah. This group's teaching this, this group's teaching this. Let's all get into the word of God and pray here and figure out what the real answer is. Mm-hmm. Let's put it on paper that this is the standard that is normative for Christianity. And thus the creeds were born. Thus the creeds were born. And it's actually really important to know the timing of this because we're going to talk a little bit about timing in, in a minute. But... The Apostles' Creed, which we just, you know, again, did a very, ex- I was going to say exhausting, but exhaustive, exhaustive study yeah. of uh, what that one was. I mean, really early copies of it are dated back to 
early third, fourth century or so. Yeah. And you know, you can see you can see threads of it starting to evolve sure. over time, starting about right then. And that's gonna be important here in a minute when we start talking about the the timing of the assembly of especially the New Testament. Correct. So one thing that I mentioned earlier is we have a lot of resources available to us. And one thing that we've been really purposeful to do is for the past year and a half, we've been studying how to study the Bible kind of behind the scenes because we knew that we were going to be ramping into this kind of topic for the new year. One book that came out during the pandemic that's been incredibly insightful, but it's also very accessible to everyone right. is a book that we're going to be kind of taking elements of from this morning and uh, next week as well. It's called Seven Things I Wish Christians Knew About the Bible, and it's by Michael Bird. Michael Bird is yeah. an Australian scholar. He's a theologian. He began as an atheist growing up. He saw Christianity as a means of oppression. So he saw the rules of Christianity being the thing that you know was wrong with society. Eventually, he came to know the Lord, and he realized that Christianity is the, actually the opposite of right. that. Then it is the means of freedom to an oppressed world, and dedicated his life to theology and yeah. to being a student of the Word. And, and he's really emerged as—he's a little younger than some of the theologians. In other words, sure. when you see a theologian, you expect to see an old, old guy. Yeah. He's on the younger spectrum of that, but mm -hmm. he is considered a, really a leading voice yeah, he among is. the young guys right now. Absolutely. And, and maybe N.T. Wright would be the older spectrum of that. And we'll talk yeah. more about Tom Wright here, here in a few minutes right. as well. But these are really some of the leading Christian scholars of our day. Yes. And we want to hear what they have to say. Yeah. Because they're voices and in a little while we'll share resources with with our congregation but four or five books that we have read as a staff and you and i have even trained some of our church leaders this upcoming group of leaders in our church as our own disciples in these things right. we've been reading these books we've been we're being influenced by these books and several of these books have really opened our understanding because again the key is if you don't if you don't see the bible correctly if you don't read it correctly, you're going to come away with the wrong answers. Right. If you don't understand the questions that are being answered, right. if you don't understand the context and all of these things. And these resources, it, it, they're not like teaching theology. They're teaching you how to read your Bible. Yeah, how you yourself can be a student of the Word. Right. So this is one of Michael Bird's biggest missions in life. Because when you look at the things that he writes, so much of it has to do with making sure that the believer has a well-versed understanding of, of the Bible. And so in this book, Seven Things I Wish Christians Knew About the Bible, we're going to take a few of them. We're going to discuss them here. Right. Again, this format is so similar to the way that we do our podcast. Right. So it's fun. It's different. So again, the book he wrote yes. is built on a seven point outline seven things that he wishes every christian knew about their bible about the bible and yeah. if you knew these seven things it would help your understanding of what god's trying to say to you and when you open the scripture you'll approach it maybe with a different set of eyes yeah exactly now in this format all we're going to be able to do in two sundays is just summarize yeah and so one of the things we want to challenge the congregation at the outset is if you well, it's not a if we are, we know our congregation, they're passionate followers of Christ. Yeah. So since you are a passionate follower of Christ, we're going to urge every one of our congregants to read at least one book in 2022 that teaches you how to read the Bible. Right. And we've got four or five, we're going to offer some courses mm -hmm. 
but somewhere in this coming year, part of your dedication to God is we pray that you will say, I'm going to try to take on one of these books yeah. and learn how to approach God's word and maybe with some fresh eyes. Absolutely. So the first thing that Michael Bird says, I wish every Christian knew this about the Bible. He says this, the Bible didn't fall out of the sky. So what is your initial reaction to that? So it's, just, it's a clever way for Bird to say, we take for granted that the Bible has always been right here yeah, in our house or in our office or in our so desk. accessible to us. We have never lived our lives without access to the scripture. Mm-hmm. And that makes us unique, not only culturally as Americans, but unique in history. Mm-hmm. The Bible has not been as accessible as it is right now. I would even say it's a very English speaking issue because I mean, how many versions of the Bible in English are there sure. uh, versus other cultures where they're lucky to have one translation yeah, So like when Bible. we minister in any Latin America context, Reina Valera right. is kind of the translation. Mm-hmm. There is now trying to emerge a modern version of that, yeah. but it's like, you know, one or two translations, maybe. Okay. Like in Romania, mm-hmm. uh, Cornelescu is the translation that the ha- translation, the translation. you don't go into Mardell and choose oh, one from yeah, a giant nine wall Romanian of translations. Right. I'll take this. There's just one that's really used broadly across all of, all of Romania. Right. So again, this accessibility issue is kind of specifically an English speaking right. issue, but I think a lot of times we don't, it's not even that we think, Oh, the Bible fell out of the sky. It's more that we just take for granted that we've always had it. There has always been a Bible. We don't even think about, well, what was the origin of this compilation? Because like you mentioned, the Bible is a compilation of 66 books. How did it come to be? We don't even question And the it. more we understand the answer to the question you just posed, the more we understand how we got our Bible, it will change how you read the Bible. Yeah. It affects your understanding of the message, the story you're reading, and what God is trying to communicate to you right. when you understand this. Matter of fact, it's, it's really one of the keys. So we want people to know how they got their Bible. And these books help you find the answer to there hasn't always been a Bible. Right. Not, not as you know it. Mm-hmm. And the early church, even if we go back to the apostles and they're talking about maybe Paul saying something about the scriptures. Yeah. All scripture is God breathed. When Paul said that, what did, when he said all scripture, he wasn't referring to your Bible. But he didn't have our Bible. He didn't have our Bible. There was no such thing as a New Testament. Yeah. So when he said all scripture is inspired by God or God breathed. What Paul was really saying is I'm looking back to the sacred writings of Judaism, right? The prophets, the law, the Psalms, the history books of what we would call our old Testament, right? Tanakh, I think is the way they would reference their Canon, Mm -hmm. but he's saying that's scripture, right? It's not even clear whether Paul believes he's writing scripture. I mean, how would he know in that moment? You want to expound upon that? What we're really saying right now, these guys are writing the book of Mark, the book of John, first and second Corinthians. Yeah. Do they even know they're writing a new Testament? That's really a question for the next point. So let's, <laughs> okay. so let's, right, hold, well, let's, hold, let's pause for well, a second. Paul's there yeah. because there's no indication, I believe, that yeah. they know that. But what we're saying is, how did these books all then get assembled together did the Bible just fall out of the sky? It did not fall out it of the sky. It did not fall out of the and sky. And that is the the answer to this first point, is that it didn't. There was a very... Meth- yes. 
Methodical. Methodical. I was trying to make that. Methodological. methodological. You and I struggle I with those two I don't words. know why I'm doing that. But there was there, a process. There was a process. A very Scholarly, yes. spiritual, spirit-led process. Yes. And to this determine. is very much a mystery to most modern-day believers. Hey, before you say that, let me say this. Because this matters to what you're about to say, I think. Okay. The books we have in our Bible are not the only books. That's true. There's lots of ancient books. Mm-hmm. There's lots of ancient books Jesus read, Paul read. How do you know that they read those? Because they quote them in the New Testament or they allude directly to the very language in these non-sacred writings. Paul on Mars Hill is quoting a Greek poet. Yeah. Jesus is quoting from the apocryphal books. The Jude, the book of Jude, Mm -hmm. talking about Enoch, the seventh Adam, prophesied, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints. Well, what book of Enoch is Jude quoting from? So he's the, the book of Enoch. The book of Enoch, yeah. It, it's not, and it's, that's in the Apocrypha. Like but it's said. not in your Old Testament. Okay, so this is actually, so this is a wonderful discussion now. So what happened when, especially when they were assembling the New Testament, they, there's all kinds of writings that the church is using. And I say the church universally, where they're finding these documents, these letters, these writings, and they have to then deal with the job of figuring out what is sacred text and what is more referential text. Beneficial, profitable, historical. Yeah. So there were a few councils. Do you know off the top of your head? Regia. Okay. Uh, just give me a second. There was the one Hippo. Hippo Regia, three, Regia three, yeah. 393. Okay. Carthage, I think 397. Yeah. And these councils are meeting specifically to decide because now it's an issue. Yeah. So the, so we had creeds before we had canon. Right. Okay. Good. So, so, so let's talk about this because yeah. early creeds exist even in primitive forms, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that predate even the Apostles' Creed or the old Roman Creed, which they're really about the same thing. Like when Paul says to the Corinthians, for I delivered to you that which I first all received. And then he gives basically a very primitive early first century church creed. Yeah. Christ died for our sins and was buried. Christ rose from the grave and was seen. Yeah. And that little creed is encapsulated in 1 Corinthians 15. So we know the church is already trying to condense creeds mm-hmm. to communicate to people because much of what we have in the Bible was passed first orally. Mm-hmm. Oral tradition passed much of the teaching yeah. of the Old Testament and, and, and in the New as well. And... Oral tradition is a historical, it's valuable, it's, it's, it's cultural, it's a thing that's well-known. And people had brilliant minds. They memorized large, large, what we would think portions of scripture mm-hmm. and passed it verbally from generation to generation. But there's something special about getting it written down. Right. And so when it's written down... It's kind of, I'm saying, it's, set, fro- it's frozen in time. It's frozen in time, set yeah. in stone. It's, and, there and it is. It doesn't have the option to evolve over time. Correct. You know, have you ever played that telephone game yeah. where I, I whisper something to you, you whisper to someone that, by the know, time we get to the it's end, it's a completely yeah. different message. And that yeah. is the risk that you run with things that are only so passed if you can on get verbally. It, with just one degree of separation right. and write, in other words, if we played the telephone game and you said something to me and I wrote it down mm-hmm. correctly, that's going to be a pretty reliable source. We could skip 20 generations down the line and show them this. And they would say, yeah, I know exactly what Jeremy told Bobby. And these people were eyewitnesses there when it happened. And so there's a lot of power in getting it away from the oral tradition and getting it written down. Mm -hmm. 
And so when you're dealing with the books of the Old and New Testament, now, now I want to say it maybe this way, especially the Old Testament, much of this was meant to be heard, not read. Yeah. And it was first giving in a verbal way, not in sit down and read this way. Mm -hmm. So where a prophet would speak to groups of people and they're hearing, not reading. But as it began to be written down now, it's preserved for all of us, not just that group. Right. Now we can give it to every generation and they can, we can read exactly what Jeremiah stood up and said. Right thousands of years ago. And so this is what those councils saw a need for. Correct. So, and again, this is about the same time that the Apostles' Creed is developed. So, you know, as far as answering the question of why is there no line about, I believe in the Holy Scriptures in the Creed, it's because they didn't have a, a mass-produced Bible to, to talk about. The Creed was their way of passing on the gospel from one generation to the next. Listen, there's not even a printing press. It's, it's just, it won't be invented for a long time still. Yeah. So we're so far away from those things that we just take for granted. Exactly. Anything that's going to be copied is going to be hand copied by incredibly talented and smart people, but it's a painstaking process. Absolutely. So now they have all of these creeds mm -hmm. that say, this is normative for Christianity. We need to standardize the sacred text. Right. Yeah. So they had to have a process to parse valuable writings, mm -hmm. things we should read. Yeah. You wouldn't put them on the same level as inspired scripture, but how do we parse them by what there has to be a measuring stick or a criteria yeah. by which the church councils could lay these books down. Uh, in other words, you know, there's a gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John mm -hmm. and Thomas. So how do you know only to include Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Thomas John. didn't make your new Testament. Why? Why not? And yeah. there's a reason why. Right. And we'll, we can talk about that in just sure. a moment. Yeah. So that's just one example of, of maybe hundreds mm -hmm. of books that are being, you know, that are out there. And, and it, there was a criteria. It's not random. It's not yeah. arbitrary. It didn't just, somebody just started binding things together. Wow. And then and this is really the point that he's trying to make in the book. The Bible didn't just fall down out of the sky. Right. There were actual criteria specifications that these councils used when they brought together all these writings they ran it through right. a metric that was able to tell them, okay, well, this is viable for our compilation. So let's share the, the metric with our people. Okay, so the first uh, point would be, <laughs> this is this is quite a word, apostolicity. Apostolicity. And apostolicity is the question, was it written by an apostle or by a companion of okay. an apostle? So the apostles, the word apostle means sent ones. Mm -hmm. We've talked about in the Bible, there may be capital A apostles. Yeah. So you got this first batch of 12 men mm -hmm. and but we know there are other apostles right mentioned in the bible many of them mm -hmm. a, a woman in romans 16 uh, junia uh, uh, junia you, you've got barnabas and others being called apostles yeah actually being called apostles not even just we're not speculating here the bible ministry. says this yeah. yeah and so it looks like there may have been a title apostle yeah kind of denoting that first group that of leaders jesus trained personally mm -hmm. But anyone then who was sent, mm -hmm. a sent one, someone who went, you might think even like missionary today or really, yeah. but the whole church in those days were acting as missionaries. Right. So Just really, you have so happening. many people doing the work of apostle. I'd love to argue that maybe 
Priscilla and Aquila and and, all, and Timothy and all these people who are going and going and risking their life mm-hmm. to share the gospel are sent ones by the church yeah. being sent out. You remember how the church at Antioch laid hands on Paul and, and Barnabas and sent them out. Right. That's what we're talking about. They're commissioned to go and and so, share the gospel. So why is it important then that one of the criteria for scripture be that it was written by an apostle or by a companion of an apostle? Because they're the eyewitnesses. They were there when they're the, they're the first person when it, all, when it all went down. Yeah, they were right there. Right. And so even in like in America, you know, there's that we have what we say, eyewitness evidence and hearsay evidence. Mm-hmm. And if you are called to testify in court and you say, I saw Hmm. This, this, and this, that's eyewitness evidence. And if you have a couple of eyewitnesses who can say that person did it and here's what I saw, Ooh, that's solid evidence in a court of law. Oh yeah. But if somebody gets on the stand and they say, I knew someone who knows somebody who said they thought they saw. And with each clause, it's losing its validity. Hearsay evidence. And that's inadmissible. Hmm. And so there is power in an eyewitness. And so when you said apostolicity, apostolicity, (laughs) is that the right way? Uh, Yeah, apostolicity. Apostolicity. Apostolicity, that's the worst word in the world. Apostolicity, we're saying apostle or direct descendant of an apostle. Yeah. yeah. Spiritual descendant. Right. And I'll use an example for that so we understand what we're saying. John Mark, Mm. who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Matter of fact, the first gospel written, we've been talking about this here at Cornerstone for a few weeks. The young man was just, uh, he was in the youth department. Mm -hmm. When Simon, Peter, and James, and John are grown men with the ministry of Jesus, he's a generation younger. Yeah. And so he's not an apostle. But even as a teenager, the church is meeting in his house. Mm -hmm. I think he knows what's going on. Oh, yeah. He has to. Peter calls him his spiritual son. Mm. So we... Well, all of Christianity believes that Peter led him to Christ or Peter discipled him into maturity. Either way, Peter was totally formative for him in Mm -hmm. his spiritual life. And so you would say, well, if Mark wrote something, it has this apostolic power behind it. Right. Because he's, you know, much of what Peter may have written, he may have turned to Mark and said, hey, Mark, write this down. I want to write a letter. Yeah. They're, they're constant companions. This is what discipleship is. It's spending it's actually, time together. When you read the Bible, understanding that it's people often uh, having scribes writing for them. Yeah. It's funny because you can actually see that happening in the text. Correct. Oftentimes you, you see a conversation between the we, person we, who's writing it down and the person who's. We pointed this out in First Corinthians. Yeah. There's a funny little moment. A, an, an in exchange. First, yeah. Yeah. Where somebody is actually writing. Paul's giving dictation. Right. And Paul is saying, I baptize none of you. None of you. And the guy who's doing the writing like, goes, uh, <clears throat> You baptized that one. Oh, well, I baptize him, but yeah. not anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a funny little exchange right there. So we know somebody is doing the, the scribal work. Scribal work. Right. You know, and I, I don't know why in my mind, I imagine the apostle Paul with like a coffee pacing the room, you know what I'm saying, giving yeah. dictation, and somebody's over here. He seems like a coffee drinker it, to me. It, yeah, yeah so. for sure. Anyway, so they're asking themselves the first criteria for how a book gets in the Bible. Does it have this uh, apostolic authority behind it? Right, because there is authority. The, the closer you are to Jesus, the closer you are in line to what was happening when it was happening. We trust that. The more trustworthy it we is. We trust that completely. Yeah. Which the, is a wonderful criteria, really. These people were there. Mm-hmm. They're eyewitnesses. They gave their lives for what they saw. Right. 
You do not lay down your life for something that's a myth. Mm-hmm. They believed it. They saw it. They're eyewitnesses. You know, like John, when he writes in First John, our hands have touched him. Yeah. We have seen him. Mm. We have held him. It's all real. This is not a joke. There's power behind those words. Absolutely. And that's why when Paul writes, and you could say, well, Paul came one generation behind. Yes, but Paul had in Acts a revelation. I mean, God appeared to him right. first person. And then Paul says there are 500 eyewitnesses it's incredible. that we can go depose right now who will attest to the things the apostles and I are writing. Mm-hmm. That's the power. So the councils, uh, whether it's uh, Carthage and 397 or Hippo Regia 393 or others, they're saying, does it have this defining mark of the apostles authenticity put upon it? Yeah. And if it doesn't, let's just don't throw them in the trash. But let's move them into a separate category mm-hmm. and say these are valuable writings, yeah. just not sacred writings. Exactly. Okay, so the second point, which actually goes really hand in hand with this question of apostolicity, is antiquity. And so what this means is can this document actually be dated to the apostolic era? So we're talking, uh, let's say the ministry of Jesus is 30 to 33 AD mm-hmm. in there, and from there the up. Apostolic era goes all the way till we think John maybe died around 100 AD, the last of the original capital A apostles. Mm -hmm. So, and then the children of those people may have gone another, you know, generation into the next century. So when you say the apostolic era, so they're saying, does it have the authority of the apostles? Mm -hmm. Did they actually write it? Because some things were ghost written a little bit yeah and so they 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 traced that they researched that to find because there are actually a lot of counterfeit writings correct where someone might use the name Uh, of third peter yeah it's not it's not real so and they figured out it wasn't right so these councils said okay well it it has to be more than just signed off by someone you have to actually be able to date this document back to that and that's the antiquity test that you're talking about does it date so by 397 Mm -hmm. If somebody were to come in out of left field and say, hey, I found a whole new book of the Bible here. Right. Wow. It would get a tons of scrutiny. They would look at it, surely. Mm-hmm. But they would say there is no evidence that anybody for the last 300 years has been quoting from this book. Mm-hmm. We don't know who wrote this book. Yeah, it just does it, it not fit no, the timetable. It, it doesn't fit the timetable. And if it comes out of left field, okay, maybe it's a valuable history book. Mm-hmm. Put it over here. Yeah. Just don't bind it in the sacred writings. Right. Okay. okay. So then the third point, so we have apostolicity, antiquity. The third question that they would ask is a question of orthodoxy. So does it teach the same things that the church has always taught? Correct. Because I mean, you can, I, I want to be very cautious to, to speak against, you know, someone too, too loudly, but there have been sects of people um, that call themselves Christians that use entirely different gospel accounts and it, and it distorts the traditional teachings of the church completely correct. and it turns it into a whole different religion. And, and that's what the early church fathers in these councils are doing. They're saying their Christianity is already established now hundreds mm-hmm. of years. Right. We, we know what a Christian looks like. We know what a Christian believes. And so now if, if we're saying we derive our beliefs from the previous generations of Christians, right. okay, what sacred writings are they deriving those beliefs from? Right. And if suddenly now some teaching comes in out of left field that the church has never seen in hundreds of years. Yes, there's going to be a lot of red flags Red going flag. Up. 
Well, because again, remember, the council era is the same as the creed era. They're really mindful of what do we believe? Right. We need to be able to state clearly these are the beliefs of the church. And they took right. the beliefs of the church very seriously in a way that maybe Christians today don't give as much weight mm. to about the gravity of understanding what your doctrine is. Right. They understood this to be the most important right. thing. And and so then the question of orthodoxy was was just primary for them. Correct. You see, for, for us, we often look at the European Christians way back here and think all we can think is, they're Catholic or they're this or they're mm. that. That's just not true. Yeah. Much of maybe the evangelical seminaries have very misrepresented the ancient European Christians mm -hmm. where I would say we have a very high view of scripture right. at Cornerstone, mm -hmm. which means we are very pro Bible. We believe it is the word of God. Mm -hmm. We believe you need to obey it. We need believe you need to apply it correctly. We have a very right. high view of scripture. Well, if you have a high view of scripture, then you must believe that God preserved this for thousands of years for you, mm -hmm. which then you must also believe that before these councils, there was no Bible. Right. So what these councils are doing is a work of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. This is an act of God moving his church and his people yeah. to say, okay, it's the, the, there are, the books are there that you need. Now let's pull them together. Right. And let's bind them and copy them and hand them to future generations of mm -hmm. Christians. So the church multiplies and is prolific. It, you, you know, we, we must have the scripture in people's hands, yeah. heads and hearts. So we must get it to all the people of the earth. Mm -hmm. So this is a very, this is, we see the Bible being formed as a work of God. Yeah. So this is a very sacred and special thing to us. And we're looking at these councils and saying, thank God. Absolutely. That they did this. Otherwise, here we'd be 2,000 years later reading all kinds of things and just wondering. Because the further we yeah, get How from, do we know which further, one is right? Correct. How do we know what, which one's the accurate representation of who God is? They, they dealt with all those questions. Correct. And this is what we want to say to our people. Whatever we're teaching you about the Bible here mm -hmm. at Cornerstone is only to give you more confidence in the Bible. Exactly. That it is trustworthy. Yeah. And it is to be obeyed and followed and it will transform your life. We have no doubt about it. Right. And we the more we think you engage with it and understand how you got it, you'll see it as a divine act of God. Definitely. And these people did us a big favor mm. way back in fourth century. Right. When God moved them to say, okay, let's pull this text together and now it's just copy and distribute and, and, you know, generations of Christians will have the word of God in their hand. Yeah. Didn't fall out of the sky. It didn't fall it's out of the passing sky. certain criteria to yeah. be pulled together by Christians. Is it apostolic? Is it of antiquity? Right. Is it orthodox? Okay. Then here's the fourth one now. Okay. The fourth one is Catholicity. Okay, so we again. Here's this word that gives evangelicals a just, you know the hives. Straighter. All it means is universal. Yeah, and so, so the question is: Was it widely, not even just accepted, but widely used in right. the church? And so it's this question of you know if there were many many copies of let's say the gospel of matthew out there and you see that the majority of the churches have gotten their hands on a copy of the gospel of matthew okay well it is being used widely, widely. amongst the churches if there is one little section 
of, of believers off in a remote area that just has this, this document that no one else has right. and no one else even knows about. And it's not widely used or recognized within you know, the, the broader universal church. That, that's pause for hesitation. Right. Well, and you can even see something similar to what would, what would happen. Uh, I think it's uh, the case in the book of Acts where Paul's dealing with the Ephesian 12, mm. these 12 men from, from Ephesus. And they say, well, we've heard, you know, that we need to be baptized and we've heard that a Messiah is coming, mm -hmm. but they didn't know about Jesus yeah. and they didn't know about the Holy Spirit. So they had some truth. It was fragmented. But it was fragmented. They didn't have a full understanding of all that had happened. Right. So imagine, again, only having some Old Testament that says Messiah will come. Yeah. And you're still here saying, I'm waiting for him. No, wait, it's already happened. It's already done. And, and he's, he's died and he's risen again. He's given us the spirit. Yeah. And all you need to do is put your faith in him and let the spirit come in. But without that knowledge, people can't respond to it. So this is very important that the... You know, not only is, is there orthodoxy, but there's Catholicity that, that they would look at the book of John and say, yeah, all the churches of Asia Minor are using this. There's some credence to it. Yeah. Look at the churches of Greece. They're all studying first and second Corinthians. Yeah. There's you know, reason why it's widely accepted amongst the church. Correct. Correct. So the council looks at all these writings. They run it through these metrics and these questions. They compile what we have as our current Bible. And, right. and another term for this is commonly used is a canon of scripture. Yeah. So when we say canon, it just means the accepted, the, the collection sacred writings that's been yeah. vetted and approved by the councils. Like this is, this is the Bible, the canon right. of scripture. Why is it important that we have a canon of scripture? Well, so that we can say this is normative for Christian belief. Yeah. I mean, uh, there has to be a body, uh, of sacred writings that governs what our belief system is. Yeah. And so here, here's what's interesting. Here's why canon's important. When you pick up your Bible and you open your Bible to the book of John mm -hmm. and you begin to read the book of John, uh, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness. When you start reading those words, you are one degree of separation from the writer. That's incredible. C can you describe this to our people? We, what we, we're saying now? We don't. We don't. We don't think about this. The fact that when you when you hold the Bible, or even when, just even think about the easier access of it being on your phone. On your phone, you open up the Bible app, you press one button, and now you are holding the very words written down by the people who knew and loved Jesus. You are two thousand years removed. But it's almost like you've taken a time machine yeah. and you've gone all the way back. And now, now we are standing with James. Yes. It's as, as though he's talking to us. We're standing with Paul. We're standing with Mark. We're standing with Peter. We're standing with Matthew. And they are saying to us, look, do you see what I'm seeing? Right. I'm standing here with Jesus. And this we're, is what he's saying. <laughs> here is what he is saying. Yeah. I am the resurrection and the life. Mm -hmm. If you believe in me, I'm standing here watching him say this, hearing him say this, and he's raising this man from the dead. I'm writing this. Yeah. Now, again, they didn't write it until some time late. They sat down and then wrote it, but it's coming from their experiences. Right. And so when you open your Bible and read, there's only one degree of separation from the eyewitnesses who are standing there. Yeah. 
even though we're 2000 years later and we combine those eyewitnesses mm. into the canon, into the Bible, yeah. and we have the complete story that God wants to communicate to us. Yeah. It's special. That's special it's and it's special. important. And yeah. it's important that we recognize it as that. So yeah. that's that's the first thing that he okay. wishes Christians do. The second thing is that the Bible is divinely given and humanly composed. Okay, so this is a, what we'd say an inspiration statement. What we're really saying is men didn't make this up. Yeah. And and even in the New Testament several times there are there are echoes of this mm-hmm. where Paul will say, Holy men of God wrote as they were moved of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. In other words, the, the words you used a minute ago, God breathed. Yeah. What we're really saying is the word of God is a creation of the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, the wind of God, God's spirit. Now this side of the resurrection is in believers, yeah. indwelling believers. And certain of those believers were commissioned to write these books that would form the Bible. Mm-hmm. And we believe that was something God did not only for those people, Mm -hmm. but he preserved them for our people today. Absolutely. And so divinely given means that Paul didn't just say, hey, I'm going to write the Bible. Yeah. Matthew didn't just wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to write a book because I want to be, I want it to be in the Bible someday. Mm. That was not their frame of reference. They had no idea that 400 years later, it would look all like this. But God did. But God did. That's God the knew. point. And so it was the the writings they did were not motivated by themselves right. to be famous and have works that would last for thousands of years or, or all of eternity, even really, you could say. But they were led of the Spirit of God to write. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of debate, and we don't even have to get into it, but there's a lot of debate in Christian circles whether God gave them every word to say, in other words, or just a general understanding. These are the things that I want them right. to know. Paul, I want you to communicate to the church at Corinth the centrality of the gospel. Yeah. Get rid of the divisions and tell them what it means to be a pneumaticos, a spirit person, mm-hmm. because they're very confused. And then the spirit just lets him and guides him yeah. use his understanding of the Old Testament and his personality come out in the writing. Right. Which is really, I, I think I'm led that way versus where you're saying the spirit might say, James, get your pen ready. Yeah, hold, hold, okay, hold yeah. your hand. Hold okay, your yeah, hand. Yeah, yeah. This is how it's happening. Write this down. James, yeah. comma, a servant of Jesus Christ, yeah. comma. In other words, we don't think that. We think the spirit led James to write to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Mm-hmm. And so he knew to write it in a letter format. And James said, James, a servant of God to the 12 tribes scattered abroad, greeting. Here we go. Here's what God, and he starts telling them the message God wants them to know. Yeah. And not only that, we believe that the message that was delivered was exactly the message that God exactly wanted the delivered. message. Yeah. yeah. And it's the message that God wanted to be sustaining through time, which is why we have this whole, you know, the Bible didn't fall out of the sky moment. Yeah. The message that we have now is the message that God wanted yeah. us to have. And putting it in writing, as we said a minute ago, even though today everything's electronic, yeah. it's still based on t- typeset right? or based on writing, if you would. Mm-hmm. Not many people say, I have texted a book. True. Somebody might say, hey, one day when I'm a little bit older, I want to write a book. Write a book. Because what we're really saying is put words down in a recorded format, whether it's electronic or on paper is irrelevant at this point. We've developed so far into history. The point is getting it 
into writing or getting it into print or getting it into a format that will last for all of humanity to read it. Yeah. And because it wasn't always this way. And you and I have had some interesting discussions about this. You know, uh, even the book of Hebrews opens, God, who in past days mm -hmm. spoke to us through the prophets, yeah. he has in these last days spoken to us in a different way. Yeah. And so the writer of Hebrews is even acknowledging that some things were oral, some things are written, some things are through the appearance of G Anyway, God used dreams. So many dreams. Visions. Yeah. Angelic appearances. At times... His own appearance. His own appearance. And so there's many ways that what God wanted to communicate, he communicated. And not only that, the things that he communicated. I mean, he he talked, um, he he gave a Abram a, a promise. Yeah, personally, uh, sitting personally. in his living room. Yeah, he uh, gave, gave so much instruction to yeah. especially the, the Israelites. He gave empowerment to people. He gave warnings to yeah. people. He gave the, sad songs at times, laments. Exactly. Yeah. And so the messages that he gave all throughout time and the, the methods that he gave them were diverse, but it was all to give a very specific message. And I guess what I'm trying to say, in fact, he spoke through a donkey at one point. Well, there's maybe we need to tell that story. That's, I mean, that's um. <laughs> not right now, but, but it's, it's, it's been clear throughout all of time and history that God has a message that he wants to share. And he's going to share that message in whatever means he wants to do right. it. And so we believe that we have the scriptures as divinely inspired in that God has a very particular message for us. And it's been humanly composed into what we have as our Bible. Right. But it is the message that God wants us to have. And it's the message that he's always wanted. And us we to can have. be confident we've got it. Yeah. You, you don't, you, you, everything we need is here. Right. And so then there's questions of inerrancy. You know, some people say, oh, well, you know, we don't, we don't believe, you know, these parts of the Bible, or I, we believe Jesus was a good guy, but maybe right. not God himself. That, that's a, actually a pretty common stance. Yeah. But the problem with that is then you don't believe in the inerrancy or that yeah. scripture is without error. Right. To understand that the Bible is divinely inspired, you also have to say that then it is inerrant. It is without error because the message is what God wanted us to right. have. Right. And, and again, when you say the Bible's without error, it doesn't mean that a publisher can't miss set a it's piece of time. humanly composed. So there, that's what we're saying. Oh, there's a period missing. See, the Bible has an error. We're not saying no. God made a mistake. We're saying, sure, as we do translation work mm -hmm. for 2000 years, there, there will be some things that need to be corrected. Right. But the message is not what's being corrected. The, the message is, matter of fact, the message is what we want to preserve. Right. And we want to make sure that we do good translation. So I would even say this, you know, there was a time in my life when I thought all these Bible translations were a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I was even taught that. Yeah. I've come now to see 180 degrees, a different direction on that. All of the translations we have today is really a blessing to us Yeah. because you could lay down four or five of the best translations mm. and really come to a good sense of what a passage is saying right? just by looking at all of the work the scholars have done to bring those translations to bear, mm -hmm. even at translations from the last, let's just say you use translations from the last 50 years yeah. to see how the English language has been updated yeah, or maybe the texts have revealed things that or, they have yeah, found. Or how the Greek has become better understood. Because... There are Greek databases that exist today that have never existed in all of history. Right. Where they can 
I don't even know if this is the right word, Google, they can search Mm -hmm. a Greek database that contains all of the writings of ancient Greek poets, and they can see if this word is even a word. Yeah. Uh, which is fascinating. It is. And if they find a word, they can look in these old Greek writings and see how they used it mm-hmm. and see what part of speech it is. They can see how it was, what, what the definition is by how it was used in context. Right. That helps them do better translation today so they know which English word best fits that word. Because again, if we believe the Bible to be divinely inspired, then we want to know what that message is. Correct. And we want to know it as clearly as we can. Understanding that it's been humanly composed right. and that we're still working on it. Sure. Well, it has, to, and again, it has to be it's humanly composed in Greek. Yeah. So now it has to be humanly translated into English or any language. It's not a one for one proposition. Yeah. It's not a, not, I mean, no, no single, it's not like this Greek word corresponds to only this English word. There are nuances of both. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it's an ongoing translation process, but the big point is you've got the word of God, right? You can trust the word of God. You can. The scholars who have brought this to bear to you today have done all of us incredible service. They are filled with the spirit, I believe, and led of the spirit to do all of these works, to bring us the translations. And by like today, you can lay down in an electronic tool, three or four translations side by side and just read and really gain insight into a very clear message that God's trying to, to tell you. Definitely. Yeah. And so then we have these two major points. One, the Bible didn't fall out of the sky. Two, the Bible is divinely inspired and humanly composed. And then before we close up, I just want to touch briefly on the third point that he makes. And this is that scripture is normative, not negotiable. Again, and that ties right in with just what we were saying. So normative means this is the standard for Christianity. Mm-hmm. And again, if, if the, if the first century church was using the book of John, we should be using the book of John, right? This is normative. If you want to know what normative Christian behavior is, you look back at what Jesus and his disciples did. There it is. That is normative. That is norm. That is what's normal. That's yeah. the standard right. of Christian behavior and life. Look at, if you want to know what's normative for the church, look at acts and the books that follow. Mm-hmm. And look how they corrected issues and how they received correction and how they had an ongoing reformation constantly yeah. happening in the church to keep it right. Right. That's normative. Mm-hmm. And so if you're, if you have lived more than 50 years and haven't had revival in your church or a reformation in your church, maybe look at what the early church did. Something's wrong. That's the normative. Because that's normative. So the scripture is normative. It's not negotiable. Mm -hmm. And so, again, this is when we say a high view of scripture, when we use words like this and say it's not negotiable. Yeah. The Bible has spoke. God has spoken. Right. Through his word. And it's not reasonable to think that God will now say, oh, never mind to all of that. Right. Today, you can just find your own truth and do whatever. Uh, No, that is not the position of the church. No. A high view of scripture says this is what's normative and what we're experiencing in culture and life today needs to be seen through that lens yeah. in order to find the path that God wants us to go because forward. Because scripture is not no, negotiable. Not negotiable. And again, if you're looking at the early church, you're looking at scripture, you're looking at what Jesus did with his disciples and you're saying that is normative, then we really need to understand what they did and we need to understand the world that they lived in. Right. Because if that is the normative view of Christianity, then that's really what we should be 
you know, aiming for. We need to understand why they wrote what they wrote. Why did they write what they write? Why did they write it in this form? What was the world that they were writing to? Correct. Because the world we live in now is very different than the world that is being written to. When we approach the scriptures in this way, it's going to open our understanding to our own reality now. Absolutely. So with that in mind, I do want to bring up kind of what our plans are for this spring. Because we have some some big moves that are happening. On Wednesday nights, we do what we call equip modules. And the point of equip modules is we want to give our church family in-depth study to particular topics. This semester, we want to focus in on really one thing. We, we want to get everyone on the same page understanding one thing, and that is how the New Testament looked like in its own world. There's something very, I almost want to say magical, but there's something wonderful about being able to look at scripture and understand the world that it's being written to. N.T. Wright is one, you mentioned this earlier, he's the leading New Testament scholar. There's no one who, I don't want to say no, I mean, there, we, we reference him all the time. We read his work constantly because there's no one who's producing content in a way that is as scholarly and studious as he is. So let me illustrate that for for the congregation. You know, if you looked at the size of the New Testament, it was about this thick, okay, in your Bible, in print. Right. Okay. This is N.T. Wright and Michael Bird, again, the man who wrote seven things that we've been discussing. They collaborated on this book. Right. And this is their introduction to the New Testament. It's incredible. So this is called the New Testament in its world. And so really what this book is, is it's about 10 times bigger than the New Testament. Right. To explain the the setting of the New Testament. Yeah. In other words, this is that book that we read. You and I use this book almost every every week. Every week. Yeah. So like I I spoke on Mark and Luke, you spoke on John John. the other day. This is the type of book we would go to and we would look up the section on who is John? Who is John? And and what time frame is he writing and to whom is he writing and what is John's relationship to Jesus and and what's happening that John is saying the things that John is saying? Because by understanding these things, then we have so much better of an insight as to what the Bible is saying. Right. And so what we want to do is on Wednesday nights, we want to have a class where we let N.T. Wright and Michael Bird take us on a journey through the New Testament and through the world that the New Testament is being presented to. So this will be our main Wednesday night module. This will be our main, yes. For the whole winter, spring semester at Cornerstone. Yes. On Wednesday nights, they will be teaching via video Mm -hmm. in the auditorium. And this is what they're teaching. And there's going to be a, a lot of work. I mean, there's a workbook involved. There's right. there's some really in-depth study that we're expecting our church family to take part in. Now, this is this is scholarly. It's I mean, this, this is not fluffy. Yeah. These are the leading Bible scholar in the world sitting down with you and giving you, they're not long lessons, maybe 20 minutes. Right. But he's going to say in 20 minutes some very profound and interesting things yeah. that help you get your mind open to how to approach the new testament right and thereby i guess maybe i need to say it this way the reason we want to know the new testament is not because we want to know everything Mm -hmm. that just makes you prideful Mm. we want to know the new testament because really we want to know god god we want a relation we're pursuing a relationship with god and the only way to pursue it Mm -hmm. is to know him through his word and through his spirit living in us right and so this is academic Mm -hmm. But it's also a very spiritual exercise to pursue 
yeah. a deeper relationship with God by being able to understand his word better. Yeah. So you can register for this class in the church center app right now. There is a fee involved for the workbook. There's also right. an add on to buy this book and this book is pretty expensive. So just know it's yeah. not absolutely necessary no. that you buy this reference book, but I mean, it is a wonderful no, you could, resource. Th every member could just, you know, in the class registration buy this book, it's the registration fee is to buy it's this for that book. And to, to help us, you know, offset the cost of the videos and all, yeah. but we'll come together in the auditorium, work through this, have a time of prayer. Right. And then we'll do that for the whole spring as we gain understanding. If, if, if you want to upfront buy the book, fine. If later you say, wow, I'm, my curiosity is really peaked. Yeah. I want to buy the book. It's, it's 50 bucks though. It's not a cheap book. Right. And it's a book that again, pastors use all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyone who really, I'm not saying it's only for pastors, so I'm saying anyone who really wants to know the New Testament better, mm -hmm. fantastic they resource. Should get that book. You should have that in your Absolutely. library. Awesome. Well, I think we're pretty much out of time. Yeah. So what, why don't we close with prayer? If you're in, in your living room or wherever you are, it, this would be a wonderful time to, to kind of put, put the phones down, focus in. Let, let's praise the church family together. Yeah. And, uh, and thank God for this journey that we're going to go on. Would, would you mind praying for us? Let's bow together. Father, we bow before you this morning. And Lord, we, we want to know you. Lord, it's not just about knowing something about the Bible that no one else knows so we would have pride. It's not about that, Lord. We want to know you. We want to know how you think and what you feel and what you want us to do and how we can please you and how we can serve you. And how we can advance your kingdom and be filled with your power and please you in all that we do. And God, we know that in order to find those things out, we're going to have to get into the word and we're going to have to understand what we're reading. We're going to have to hear the voice of Holy Spirit speaking to us and guiding us day by day. Lord, that's what we want. And Lord, that's what we are pursuing in this new year. And God, together as a church, we bow before you right now. Though separated by miles, we are unified in spirit right now. And Lord, our decision that we want to articulate to you this morning is we want to be students of your word. We want to pursue you. And God, we pray that you would bless that pursuit in this new year. Lord, that our lives would be transformed and enriched. And Lord, this would be a year of growth like no other for us spiritually and for us as a church. Lord, bless our year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for being with us online this morning. We cannot wait to see you again this same exact way next week, and then we'll come back in person in two weeks from today. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, Happy New Year. God bless. So with that, we are three points into the book seven things I wish Christians knew about the Bible. Again, this is an incredible resource. I would ask that all of our listeners go out to Amazon, to wherever you buy your books, get a copy of this book and read it. Follow along with us and enjoy being a part of the study as we continue these cornerstone conversations.